0: So it seems as though uh, Yakutia, Yakutia, anyone here from Yakutia, Siberia? It's near the Arctic Circle. They have like this mammoth problem, which is really revolving around mammoths. Uh, it's believed that 80% of the mammoths who have ever lived are now occupied in Yakutia, um, Russia. Okay, they actually don't like breathe. They're encased in ice, although some of them aren't encased in ice. They they are, are becoming discovered, right? And so Siberia, Russia, has this mammoth problem. Remains that were once locked in snow and ice, permafrost, are magically appearing. Why? Well, what melts ice? At any rate, we'll just let that one be. The market for mammoth remains uh, is really a hot market, okay? They figure about 100 tons of mammoth remains are taken out of Yakutia each year, right? And they think that roughly there's 550,000 tons of mammoth remains. Now, it's not bad if they're taken legally. If if you're a resident of the area, you can go out kind of like we would go and look for sheds. You can go out and you can try to find mammoth pieces and parts and tusks and whatnot. But the illegal market is the one that the Russian government government is interested in because those are uh, escaping any sort of taxation and then the government misses out. Of course, when you're in Yakutia, what is legal, what is illegal? In 2012, the holy grail of mammothness was discovered, okay? Some boys were out wandering around and they came across a few tusks or, or a course of the hair, a little foot that was sticking out, or a big foot, a mammoth foot, you might argue. and 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 it was a fully preserved Mammoth, like hair and everything, like it had been encased in ice, they figured for thousands upon thousands of years, and it's now on display in the Mammoth Museum, and, and you could go there tomorrow if you wanted to. Um, mammoths are a relative, a cousin of the most common pachyderm, um, the elephant, both uh, species belonging to the Elephantidae family. Now, elephants are something that's also intriguing, right? Because they're cute little baby elephants. This is my cute little baby elephant voice. So I'm going to try. Okay, i got to have it. Tom says I can't throw. I'm about to prove him wrong. Right shoulder fully rehabilitated. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, so like the first elephant in the United States of America showed up on a boat in 1796. Um, It was operated by a captain, Jacob Crowninshield, and uh, the ship's officer, a ship's officer, a Nathaniel Hawthorne, not the Hawthorne that you're thinking of. This is the father of the Hawthorne that you're thinking of, the Scarlet Letter author. Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote that they had one big Elephant. These are baby elephants. Those so, look cute. So cute, little baby elephants. It was the first elephant. That's a great, there's no one there. It was the first elephant. Okay, so they bought the elephant for $450, which is big money back in 1796. They sold it, once they got to New York City, for $10,000, which is a phenomenal return on the investment. Now, the intriguing thing about it is we like elephants, right? They're cute, especially baby elephants. Okay, but there's a challenge, right? Because as we've studied elephants, we've realized that, that elephants are pretty complex mammals, okay? They, they, they live in a largely matriarchal society, and there's a lot of us that think that would be a good idea, all right? And and, and, and if a, a baby is born, um, it, it's not just cared for by its uh, genetic, biological mother, but it's also carried by um, other mothers that are part of the herb, even, herd, even if they don't have babies. They're called aloe mothers and aloe mothering. And, and they're incredibly complex uh, individuals. They, they actually actually feel the earth. Their their feet are extremely sensitive. They'll they'll wander up to 50 miles a day. If one part of the herd is affected, miles, miles away, the other elephants will will, will rush to to help them. In fact, there's cases of elephants being called for a variety of different reasons, and, and a herd will show up the next day, break into, okay, break into, and get the pieces of their relatives that have value, that have been stored, right? Break in, steal the remains, and take them away. It, it's very, very intriguing. It, you just understand just a little tiny bit about elephants. And obviously, um, the article written by Charles Siebert thinks about well, what does it mean when we have elephants who are separated from their families. And some of us think, oh, that's a little fanciful. But maybe not. Let's get back to elephants in just a little bit. Today, 578, chapter 14, verse 24. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be, as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains trample him underfoot. Now, this is intriguing, right? Because Assyria has to be in this position of, wait a second, I thought you liked us. I mean, you were giving us success. You were even giving us success over your chosen people. Why does it turn so quickly? Surely our success, if I'm the Assyrian king, I'm like, hey, our success would certainly indicate that everything is okay. But actually nothing could be farther from the truth. And they, and they make an error, right, that many times people make. They, they mistake success with the favor of God. And history is replete with examples of success that has had little to do with the favor of God. It's simply one group of people displacing the arrogance of another group of people. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, and we even looked at, as we understand history, how true that is. It's so easy to presume on the favor of God. Just because a person is successful doesn't mean they're walking with God. In fact, success might delude folks into a false sense of security. Obviously, the message comes to us today, right? Because we live in a wildly successful land we enjoy the benefit of an economic system that is absolutely historic we we can i think assume that because we're successful ah that means god likes us and i don't want to say that's not true I just want to caution us to not presume on the favor of God. Just because a person is successful doesn't mean they're walking with God. In fact, success might delude folks into a false sense of security. How do you know, right? How do you know? I mean, because if the measure was, wow, if I'm successful, God likes me. And now if you're saying, well, I'm successful, do I, does God really like me or am I just successful? Why, great question. How do you know? How do you know? Look at your life. Is God a priority in our lives? I mean, think about dental health, right? Right? If dental health is a priority, you do what? You brush your teeth. I brush my teeth today. Tanya encourages me to brush my teeth more often. I kind of jack with her a little bit letting her think that I don't brush my teeth as often as I do. But I at least brush my teeth at least once a day. Not always after peanut butter. But if dental health is a priority, right, you do it. You do it every day, right? You brush your teeth, you floss, you do the things necessary, maybe even twice a day when you get up in the morning. If you have bad coffee breath, please brush your teeth. It really makes a difference. You don't want to be known as the guy who has bad coffee breath. It's just, it's not, it's not a good place to be. It's a bad place to be. No one likes to be around you, even if you're a very nice person. And, and before you go to bed at night, brush your teeth. It's, it's good. Do it, right? Dental health. You know it's a priority if you do it. Is it, God, a priority in our lives? Do we intersect with God at least as often as we brush our teeth? For some of us, more. We can talk about nutritional health and emotional health. We, we know these things are a priority. If there's a frequency, if, the, if there's moments in our lives on a consistent basis where we intersect with these things, Don't presume on the favor of God. Don't think just because we're successful, we're walking with God. Another way of looking at this... Am I looking for my rights in a given situation? Okay, presuming upon the favor of God, okay? Am I really walking with God? Am I, am I looking for my rights or am I looking for his rights? Am I looking for his priorities or am I looking for my priorities? Am I seeking to honor my name or am I seeking to honor his name? This last Friday, I went for a bike ride. It was a beautiful morning. It was really, really hot. I burned through a lot of electrolyte solution and and, uh, and, and I got back to Nisswa, right? And I hadn't gone out very far, but I got back to Nisswa and I'm on the trail, right? And there's these three young miscreants in front of me. And I know, I know that I'm getting old based on how I think of people who are younger than me. Okay, And they're, they're really not interested in riding their bikes like I'm interested in riding my bike. Okay, And I have space for that. I have tons of space for that. Okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. But these three were just on the trail going... Three abreast, okay, and just like taking up the whole trail. And so I'm like, one rider, slowing down, one rider, slowing down some more, one rider, slowing down some more, and my voice is increasing because they're not paying any attention to me whatsoever. And finally, I'm relatively close, slowed down to almost a complete stop, and I'm like, one rider, get off the trail! And this little miscreant, you know, this little stub of a thing, you know, but he was probably junior, senior, high age with a mouth, okay? He turns around and just gives it to me. He's like, quit yelling at kids. What are you yelling at kids for? And I'm like, because you're on the trail, And I'm by them now, right? And then he says something else, and I locked up the brakes. In fact, I almost did an endo, but I released the front brakes close enough because that really better have been awkward, right? And I came around, and I'm like, what did you say? And we continue this conversation in escalating tones of volume. And finally, I'm like, what's your name? He's like, I don't have to tell you your name. And I'm like, you're right. And he's like, what's your name? I'm like, John Just, look it up. (laughs) Dang it! And I'm like, seriously, why did I do that? (laughs) Why? I know. And I'm not saying telling him my name. I'm like, why didn't I just keep on writing? Because my rights were trampled on. Because my honor was being stampled, trampled, destroyed. I failed. I failed. I failed. I was 100% right, and I failed. Don't presume on the favor of God. Are we looking for our rights or His? Are we looking for our honor or His? Another way of looking at it. Why am I doing what I am doing text goes on. I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountain trample him underfoot, and his yoke shall depart from them and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purpose concerning the whole earth, white egg omelets missing the yoke. It's a picture of what God always comes back to, right? Always comes back to. It's it's this picture that... that the authentic follower of Jesus Christ is always aligned with. This hope, this future reality, no yoke, the burden of life, the burden of trying, of wondering. No more yoke. No more oppression. Aren't we tired sometimes? Don't we just get tired of trying to live up to what others think? Don't we just get exhausted from trying to to live up to what others want from us, what others think we need to be? And wouldn't it be refreshing to just be you? Loved by a holy God, walking with a holy God, Missing the yoke. Being led by God out of a tough spot. And, and, And that is always the promise of God. The promise of God to always lead his people out of oppression, out of enslavement, out of pain. A world which so often makes it so difficult to follow him. He promises to lead the willing, even the weak out of that reality. Can we get to the point where any encounter that we have in life it is an opportunity to follow God, to be led by God? You know, we've been talking a little bit about this whole idea of, okay, the, the, the sovereignty of God, the control of God, right, at a macro level. And often we'll say the control of God, or God's in control of the situation, and we apply it at a micro level. And, and I'm not saying that that's not true, right? Okay, but it's, it's not always helpful. So, so instead of saying someone, well, God is in control after they've said, offered a devastating loss, maybe a sharper thing would be to say, if you need to say something, because sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. Maybe a sharper thing would be to say, you know, I am absolutely confident that God will lead you through this terrible time. I am 100% confident God won't forsake you because that's the promise of God throughout the Bible. His His people get into trouble. He leads them out of trouble. His people get into trouble. He leads them out of trouble. His people get into trouble. He leads them out of trouble. The whole meta narrative of the Bible is this notion of sin affecting our lives and God saying, Follow me away from sin. And it gets a sharp point on it in the New Testament, right, with Jesus Christ. Follow Christ. Do you ever wish the yoke would just go away? Do you ever wonder if the yoke will just be lifted? And I understand, I haven't had a life of trouble. B- but I still have to tell you, that th- there's been this wonder that I have experienced, and I've experienced enough of it to, to almost be delighted to say, okay, how, what is God going to do in this situation? H- how is God going to create the situation that I'm in right now and, and move me in a position for my good? closer to him, in relationship with him in his spirit, experiencing the power of his Holy Spirit in my life. What if we could get to that point where any encounter we have, we have this sense of, okay, God, what are you up to? And, and how will you lead me out of this most challenging of environments? The text Transitions a second oracle. In the year that King Ahaz died, verse 28, came this oracle. Rejoice not, O Philistia, all of you, that the rod that struck you is broken, for from the serpent's root will come forth an adder, and its fruit will be a flying, fiery serpent. And the firstborn of the poor will graze, and the needy lie down in safety. But I will kill your root with famine, and your remnant it will slay. Wail, O gate, cry out, O city, melt in fear, O Philistia, all of you. For smoke comes out of the north, and there is no strangler in his ranks. What will one answer, the messengers of the nation? The Lord has founded Zion, and in her the afflicted of his people find refuge. Bad guy dies, okay? Widespread agreement that Ahaz was a bad guy, okay? So when he goes down, death, he's dead, okay? The the surrounding people are like, yay, bad guy dead. Now, it might be tempting for the, the uh, surrounding folks to to engage in a fair amount of cheer, but God's like, okay, wait a second, don't cheer too much. Now, the serpent's root, the adder, the fiery spirit, we're not sure exactly who that refers to. Is this Ahaz's people? Okay, his son Hezekiah is a much better dude than he was, okay? And there's some evidence that Hezekiah took on the Philistines, okay? There's also a reality that Philistines, that, that Philista will be, Philista will be um, affected by the Assyrians. Either way, the Philistines are going down. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that, another picture of restoration, of rest, of refuge. And we have this picture, right? In just these few short verses, of, of a world that wages war, And a God who is continually bringing his place, his people, his creation to refuge. Both verse 30 and 32. A place of rest, a place of security. A place where those who have been oppressed are no longer. A place where those who have been poor don't need to worry about their bank account. So in this crisis, if you will, of zoological belief in how we treat elephants, there is a group of individuals in California who have created this thing called PAWS, P-A-W-S, Performing Animal Welfare Society, okay? Now, it's kind of a funny name, and some of you will make jokes about it being in California, and I get that, and that's fine, I appreciate that. But what it is is it's 2,300 acres, Where an elephant or a big cat or other things can go and live out their natural lives. And really, well, they don't have to be imprisoned in a zoo. It's the picture that is presented in Isaiah chapter 14 Uh, a place, yet future, of refuge. And so I want to say to you, with everything that I have, heaven is before us. It's a place beyond description. It's a place beyond comprehension. You really want to be there. You don't want to miss the opportunity. What we're living in now is is prison compared to what that day will be like. What we're experiencing now is heavy and ill-suited to our created order. But that day, for those who have followed Jesus Christ, for those who have a relationship with the Father, Son, and the Spirit, heaven is before us. Never forget that. Refresh your heart on a daily basis with that reality. Refresh your heart with a certain knowledge that you are walking with God, the creator of the world, who promises refuge for all who follow his son. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you, and we look forward to that future day. We look forward with hope. We look forward with anticipation. We also acknowledge, Father, that sometimes the yoke is heavy. Sometimes the burden is great. And so while we wait for that future day, we we know that we do not wait alone. And we cry out to you. Sometimes we want the burden simply taken away, and that's a fair thing to ask. But let us be confident that you do not forsake us, that you do not leave us high and dry, that you promise to walk with us and lead us, following you through any experience that we encounter. Father, encourage our lives to be faithful to the call of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.